Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice, back and more fire than ever. And now, your host, the Iceman. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another week of Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice. I am your host, Matty Ice, and this is the fourth episode back. It's awesome to be back, but I want to start the show with a little bit of an announcement. This is the last episode that you will hear of Drippin' Sports with me as the primary host. That doesn't mean that I'm leaving the show, but when I brought the show back, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. I knew that I wanted to talk sports. I knew that I wanted to resurrect something that I had genuinely liked, that I had a great following. You all had made this show what it was, but I wanted a new direction, and I knew that in time, that direction would, would present itself. Last week, I did an episode with Brad from Pub Time Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed that time with him, and we went over realigning the NCAA. And after the episode, we were talking about a little post-game action, and through the weekend, we were texting with each other about the episode and about different things, and, and Brad asked me, would you like to do a football podcast during the football season? And in talking about that and thinking about the way that it would work logistically, it dawned on me that this was the opening that I needed. This was the opportunity that I needed to do something different. And so I'm here to announce to you today that Brad of Pub Time is going to be the official new co-host of Drippin' Sports. It will be Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. It's going to be the same show, the same kind of vibe. Brad and I are very, very similar in our approach. We really want to get in between the lines and dig into the larger picture around sports because I think what happens on the field is secondary to so many of the other narratives. And we want to do that. We want to bring that to you. Next week will be the first official episode with me and Brad at the helm. And we're going to be with you throughout the entirety of the football season. At the end of football, after the Super Bowl, we're going to think about where to go with the show from there, how we want to do things. Maybe Brad is only on during football, but for the time being, we're going to have a great time with this. And I hope that you enjoy it. This is an evolution of the show taking Drippin' Sports to another level, and I would appreciate your support in welcoming Brad to the show next week, and I can't wait. So in the world of sports right now, what is going on? In this last episode, I saw a few things that really piqued my interest. Of course, we had the trade deadline in baseball, preseason football is here, but I want to start the show talking about two athletes that retired or announced their retirement, Serena Williams and Sue Bird. I would assume most people listening to the show have heard both of those names. If you don't know who Serena is just by first name alone, then maybe you just haven't been paying attention. But Serena Williams is a tennis player. She just turned 40 years old, and she decided after the U.S. Open that she is going to retire. She doesn't like the word retirement, but she wants to hang it up. And it got me to thinking about Serena Williams and her legacy. So much or so often, whenever an athlete dies, especially a prominent athlete like Serena Williams, we generally tend to think about their legacy. Bill Russell a couple of weeks ago, I did a whole episode on Bill Russell's legacy and even likened it to Deshaun Watson. And to compare, this is what legacies are, the dichotomy of their legacies. Serena Williams, in my mind, is going to leave a lasting legacy. She's already left a lasting legacy, but now that she has gone forever, what does it mean to the sport going forward? I think in order to think about her legacy, you have to look at her past. And I think when Serena comes up, she needs to be discussed among the greatest of all time. Not the greatest female tennis player of all time, but one of the greatest of all time. One of the greatest winners, 
competitors, athletes we've ever seen. In my opinion, we are long past the time where we need to caveat when women do great things. It happens in WWE a lot where they say the, the best female blah, 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 the historic first female whatever. It shouldn't be historic because it's the first because it took so damn long. But let's look at Serena's past and I want you to think about this. Majors. In a sport like tennis where it is an individual sport, majors matter. Same thing as golf. We look at how many majors a player has won to quantify their greatness. Because sometimes when you are talking about individual sports, you can't really find, I guess, talent in between the lines. Because a lot of times when you have somebody who's never won anything in an individual sport, it's really, really difficult to call them the greatest and to compare them to others who have won so many things. Think about somebody on the PGA Tour right now and say they're just as good as Tiger. Tiger has what, 20 majors? And somebody has zero. It's a comparison. I think it's a fair comparison. And it happens a lot in sports. But majors, there's four of them just the way that there are in golf. But there are four tennis majors. Now, you got to think to yourself, these are hard to do because they have preliminary rounds and then they have the elimination rounds. So you're playing a lot of tennis to win these majors. Serena Williams has won 23 singles and 14 doubles. Think about that for a second. 37 majors. That is one hell of a resume. Seven Australian Opens, three French Opens, which is one of the hardest to do. Seven Wimbledons, six US Opens. That's just on the single side. She's a gold medalist. She's a four-time gold medalist. Once in 2012 in singles, three times in doubles. And a lot of people, when you look at somebody's resume, especially in tennis, well, who did she play against? Well, you had Venus, her sister, of course, who was a really great player. Martina Hingis, Jennifer Capriati, Maria Sharapova, Justine Hanin, just to name a few. And of course, nowadays, you got Naomi Osaka, you got Coco Golf, you got a lot of players right now. She is definitely one of the greatest tennis players to ever play. There's no question. But I think that she deserves to be among the greatest ever. Now, when I think of the greatest, I don't know if you remember this, but last year, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, ESPN did this. I, I want to say it was like a piece on the greatest of all time. And they had this visual up there. It was an animated visual of the jerseys and sort of caricatures in a way, more realistic caricatures of players who they consider to be the greatest. And there were a lot of omissions, ironically, a lot of female omissions. Simone Biles was not on this. When you think about greatness, those names should snap into your head. Jordan, Jerry Rice, Tom Brady, Bill Russell, Wayne Gretzky, Babe Ruth. These are all greats. We consider these people the greatest in their sport, some of the greatest to ever play. And Serena Williams 100% deserves to be in that. If there was something greater than the Hall of Fame, if there was the Hall of Greatest, Serena Williams would be in that hall. 110%. Hard stop. There's no way that you can convince me that she wouldn't be there with all those guys. And it doesn't matter that she was a woman. It doesn't matter that the way that they play tennis is different. She endured through multiple generations. She saw the young people coming up 10 years ago. You got to remember, Serena started in the late 90s, won one of her first majors in like 1999. She has endured all of the young up and comers. And that's the thing that's the hardest to do. When you're in a singular sport and people are coming for you, when you win majors, you're the greatest, you have a target on your back. The young guns want what you have. And she stomped them all down. She continued to thrive to the point that she is one of the greatest athletes of our generation. And I think that she needs to be recognized as such. The sport is going to miss her for many reasons. 
You have to remember, Serena Williams was out front in representation before a lot of these other people were. Now, she's following in the footsteps of Billie Jean King and others like her, but she went through a lot when she was playing tennis. I mean, all these clubs, you got to think tennis is a very stuffy sport, a very antiseptic sport. And for a black woman to look the way that she does, dress the way that she does, and be unapologetically who she was, really went anti the establishment of tennis. Not only that, the injuries, coming back from injuries, getting back to being world number one. But I think her greatest achievement isn't on the court. It's being a mom and coming back and then getting back to that greatness. And that's what I'm talking about, is you have the youngest coming up and trying to get her. She goes on maternity leave, comes back, works her way back, wins a major. To me, that is just incredible. And I think it is great that it's recognized because again, it makes it normal because women have to go through a lot in this world. And so to see them get the accolades that they deserve through Serena Williams, I think that it only is going to get better for the recognition of female sports. And I think Serena has a lot to do with it. Certainly wish her well in retirement, certainly wish her well in her journey as a mom, but man, we're losing one of the greats. In the WNBA, Sue Bird is retiring at the end of the season. Now, I believe her team made the playoffs, so I think she's got however many games that they have left. But Sue Bird leaves another legacy in the WNBA. Now, the WNBA is really a forgotten league, and I say that throwing no shade. But in today's world, even though ESPN is trying their hardest to market it and make it somewhat of a primetime sport, it just hasn't caught on in the general and vast conscious of the United States in terms of their our attention span. And I think there, there's a lot of factors that go into it. First of all, there's just a lot of things to consume. And the level of basketball play doesn't mean that it's bad, but maybe it's just different than what we're seeing in the NBA. So there's just, there's not a lot of people that are flocking to this sport. So I think the greatness of Sue Bird really goes unnoticed. But basketball is a team sport compared to tennis, which is a an individual sport. So Sue Bird was one of five on the court at any time, but I think that her winning still stands out. Four-time WNBA champion, 13-time All-Star, and I think that All-Stars actually mean more in the WNBA than they do in our other professional leagues. Let's take baseball, for instance, where the All-Star game has turned into, well, we have to have somebody from each team on here. Well, that totally devalues the idea of an All-Star. And especially if you have the, the fans choosing this, I mean, it turns into a popularity contest. I think in a league like the WNBA, where again, there are not nearly as many eyes on the product as there are in others, I think that the choices for All-Star are much more genuine and more based in objectivity than they are subjectivity. She was a five-time gold medalist. Now the women's basketball team, Olympic basketball team has been wonderful for years, decades now. And she was the cornerstone of a lot of those teams. And then you have two-time NCAA champion, and she was on the UConn women's basketball team, Gino Ariema, all that stuff. Honestly, she's one of the greatest to ever lace them up in the WNBA. Now, she's got a lot of competition, but I think she also represents something else, too, her relationship with Megan Rapinoe. And maybe your mileage varies on Megan Rapinoe as a person, but I think, again, from an athletic perspective and also representation, when you see somebody who is out there who is good, who is getting accolades and who represents a group of people that maybe feel marginalized in a lot of other areas, I think that it's great to recognize those things and to understand the impact that something like that could have. It isn't all what her legacy is, but I think it's an important aspect to it. So two women's sports are losing some of their icons and some of their greats, 
and we here at Drippin' Sports and Matty S Media wish them well. Moving on. Something interesting happened in baseball. Well, a couple of interesting things happened in baseball. First of all, the trade deadline has come and gone, which it does every single year. The trade deadline was a little bit later because I don't know if anybody remembered this. There was a, a lockout. Does anybody remember this? It happened, and it's funny because one of my first or last episodes of the show, dating back to when I consolidated the show, was about Major League Baseball is back because the collective bargaining agreement was decided upon. And I had completely forgotten that baseball had a strike. And so the deadline was a little bit later than I remembered. And I was like, God, why was the deadline in August? I don't get it. And that's why. The biggest name, in my opinion, on the trade block was Juan Soto with the Washington Nationals. And it's a complicated thing because Juan Soto is a Boris client. He's coming up on a contract that he wants to get. He's going to hit the market and he is going to get so much money. Baseball is a market that 100% continues to go up. See, in football, if a quarterback hits the market, a quarterback, in my mind, is the only thing that is the closest to what baseball has in their market because the quarterback is the most important thing on a football team. And so they get to dictate terms. They get to say, this is what I want based off of what the last guy got. In baseball, that's just how it works. Every single year, the salaries just continue to go up. There's no salary cap. There's no salary floor. So the best players, the top 1% in the league, are just going to keep getting paid more and more. And based off of the contracts that we have seen for other guys like him hitting the market, Juan Soto was going to get a lot of money. So the Nationals weren't going to be able to sign him. He had turned down, what was it, like $350 million, something like that, which it's funny because people said, how could he turn down that amount of money? Well, look at what the guys before him got. He should have turned it down just from a business perspective alone. So he's on the trade block, and a lot of people are wondering who's going to get Juan Soto because the usual players are out there. The Yankees, other teams like the Dodgers. And at this point in baseball, it's funny. Baseball has turned into college football in a lot of ways, mainly because it seems like it is inevitable that the same teams are top-heavy and going to get these players. It doesn't mean that there's no parity in baseball. It just means that it seems like the the franchises with the most money are getting all of these players. And we just kind of assumed that Juan Soto was going to be a Dodger or a Yankee. And then all of a sudden, coming out of nowhere, the San Diego Padres end up landing him in a blockbuster deal. Now, interesting fact about the blockbuster deal is Eric Hosmer was rumored to be a part of this deal. He had a no trade clause. And he said, I am not going to Washington. So he ended up getting sent to Boston, which was part of the deal somehow. Anyway, push comes to shove. Juan Soto is in San Diego because San Diego for years now has been trying to catch up to the Dodgers with Manny Machado, with Fernando Tatis Jr. They're trying to spend money and they've got this young core of players and they can't seem to put it together. So you know what? They're going to go all in and they're going to trade for Juan Soto. It's a huge risk because he's going to hit the market after this year. They had to give a crap ton up to get him. And honestly, he's probably going to get 400, 450 million on the free agency market. And are they going to be able to pay that? We'll see. But on the heels of that come news that Fernando Tatis Jr. has tested positive for a banned substance and is suspended for 80 games. The timing of this couldn't be worse for the Padres as we are in pennant fever right now. But man, I got to tell you, that's just, that's incredible that something like that would happen. Now, I think that the nuances of this are interesting. Now, I've had conversations with people who are trainers in, in my personal life, and I can tell you that if you are the trainer of somebody, especially somebody this high profile, you should know every single thing that is going into a player's body. Most of the time when this happens, a player comes out and says, I didn't know I was taking that. Now, Tatisa's thing was basically that 
they inadvertently took something that had trace amounts of this one drug in it. It was something that they were knowingly taking, but it is what it is, and here we are. I don't really buy that, and it's not that I think that he is nefarious, but he obviously had a motorcycle incident that was part of his contract that was questionable, and now you have this. And honestly, in baseball, 80 games is half a season. He's not only going to miss the rest of this season, which hurts their playoff chances a lot, even with Juan Soto, but he's going to miss at the beginning of the season next year as well. And that's probably not having Soto on their team. And they just make this blockbuster trade and it's crazy. And it made me wonder, did they know this was coming down the pipeline? And how does this stuff get communicated between the players union, between the league and all that? Because all of this, again, is collectively bargained. So it's just a crazy situation seeing all these players move. But the highest profile player ending up going to a team that nobody saw getting him. And then you get this bombshell news. And I have to say... Fernando Tatis Jr. seems to me like somebody who needs to grow up a little bit. Now, I'm not doing that get off my lawn thing, I'm older, boomer take, but when your decisions are impacting your play on the field, and in this case, they are up, they are impacting his availability, and availability is your best ability in a lot of, in a lot of ways, especially come playoff time. It's so difficult to get your team into the playoffs if you're not there. To me, it feels like he let down his team. And a lot of his teammates have sort of been voicing this opinion. Now, Fernando Tatis just signed a huge 13-year deal. So he is set. The team's not going to get rid of him. The team is not going to release him. They have invested too much money in him. But they went all in for the rest of the season to catch the Dodgers. And now they're going to have to do it without him. And I'm not sure how much he actually really cares about that. I mean, he obviously cares because of his bottom line. But he's left the team at a detriment. And I've seen a lot of back and forth about, well, Dominican players have it worse and all this other stuff. Fernando Tatis's dad played baseball. He should know. People need to be watching out for these players. But ultimately, in the end, the player needs to be the most responsible. And if you're hiring people as a part of your team, those people need to be spot on in knowing what is happening. It's kind of like the Denver Broncos player a couple years back who was working out at a Gold's gym, hurt himself and voided a year of his contract because in the contract it stated if he got hurt not on team facilities that it was something that could void the contract and this is a non-guaranteed sport where were people telling him that he shouldn't be doing that and the same thing for Tatis how do they not know every single little thing that is going into his body to me it's not really about whether he's Dominican or not to me it's about the fact that you should know you should take accountability and responsibility and unfortunately now, 80 games, he's gone. So I don't think the Padres have any shot. I still think the Soto trade was a risk, but a risk worthwhile if you have this core together. And now they don't have it. So I think that this trade now looks, gosh, almost desperate. I mean, they could have went the rest of the year and not had Juan Soto and had all of those farm players in their system, I think been set up better for the future. Now they're not going to have that. The other thing that is happening right now is preseason football has started. And I have a hot take for you. And this is as we get out closing the show here. I don't like preseason football. I don't watch it. I don't care for it. And I could care less what anybody thinks about what happens in the preseason. Talk to me in the regular season. It's not that the preseason is useless. It's just it from a viewer standpoint to me as a fan, I don't really care. I don't consume my sports in that way anymore. I don't consume my, my football in that way to the point that I need to be obsessively in the know about everything that happens with my sports teams. A handful of years back, my dad was like, hey, did you watch the Patriots game? 
it's preseason. I said, absolutely not. And he was like, why? I'm like, why would I watch the preseason? It's one of the most useless things in the world. And he's like, don't you want to know who's going to make the team? And I'm like, I'll find out in week one when the games actually matter. That's when I want to tune in. But the preseason does a lot of different things. So I want to talk about very, very quickly, rat-a-tat-tat, a few things. Lamar Jackson is up for a contract. The Ravens and he are negotiating, but will stop negotiating when the regular season starts. I have to tell you, Lamar going into the season without a contract, huge risk, especially the way that he plays football. He's a mobile guy. The injury risk is a lot higher. And man, players are gunning for him. He's not really set up in any kind of way. He seems to be okay with it. He doesn't seem to be upset with the organization. And again, their starting point is the next guy. And I think when you look at Jimmy Haslam and the Browns, they totally messed up the market for quarterbacks. They totally messed up the market for free agency in general. And so if you're Lamar's camp, you're like, hey, we're starting back where this guy, a serial assaulter, got a $240 million guaranteed contract. That's our starting position. So I think that that's a risk. And again, we talked about injury not just in the regular season, but it happens in the preseason. And if you're a Jets fan right now, you are breathing somewhat of a sigh of relief because Zach Wilson looked to have had his ACL torn and be out for the season, and he's going to be out only two to four weeks due to a meniscus tear. Now, it was on a scramble and a run in the preseason. You don't want your guys taking those kinds of risks. It's already risky enough in the regular season, and the Jets were staring at Joe Flacco for the whole season, and now they're only going to get Joe Flacco for two to four games. Can they withstand that, though? The Jets don't really have the firepower, especially in a very loaded division and a loaded conference, to be able to withstand a 1-3 and three start. And they were probably staring at that with Zach Wilson, but now without him, I don't know, a 39-year-old Joe Flacco? It's a risky proposition. Sticking with that same division, the New England Patriots had their first preseason game. And to me, what I was looking for here was what the offensive coordinator situation was going to look like because you have Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. Two guys who failed at head coaching jobs came back to the Patriots, an organization that they worked with. So these are people that are familiar with each other. And I do think that familiarity helps out a little bit. But we're talking about Joe Judge, who hasn't called plays since, what, high school? Special teams guy when he was with the Patriots. Didn't do a great job with Daniel Jones in that offense in New York. Matt Patricia comes back. He was the defensive coordinator on some Super Bowl winning teams for the Patriots. And these guys kind of come back with their tails between their legs a little bit. But they're getting handed the keys to a second year of Mac Jones, who had a great rookie campaign. Nothing overly spectacular, but it was overly solid to the point that that was a 10-win team. So you're handed something that is relatively exciting, but they have to revamp everything. Josh McDaniels being out for the first time in years, get a head coaching job with Vegas, and this is new. They're revamping the terminology, they're revamping the plays. And you wanted to see what that was going to look like. And honestly, what we've seen in camp and what we've seen in the game, I think it's a little bit problematic. I think they have a lot of kinks to work out. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You want to see what happens in between. And I think that it's interesting to see that I'm not sure they really know what they're doing yet. But they've got a few games to figure it out. And I think Bill Belichick, he's the greatest coach of all time. Got to give him the benefit of the doubt. The other thing that's been making news is Tom Brady again. And he's out for a personal reason, which is basically a vacation. And it is what it is. When you're a seven-time Super Bowl champion, you come back to a team that you really didn't want to come back to, apparently, as we found out. Remember those tampering things that we talked about or have talked about before? The super tampering or rampant tampering, whatever it was? Tom Brady wanted to be a Dolphin. He wanted to be an executive and a player for the Dolphins and weasel his way out of Tampa. And it didn't work out that way. He retired, but really was saying goodbye to Tampa. 
And then what happened is he couldn't make it work the way he wanted to work because Brian Flores sued the NFL and the Dolphins for racism. And so what happened? Bruce Arians took the fall. Bruce Arians got fired so that Tom Brady could come back because basically Tom's like, hey, look, if I got to come back, that guy ain't coming back with me. So Tom Brady ends up getting preferential treatment. And the funny part is Antonio Brown has been on Twitter talking about this. And I have to say that Antonio Brown is one of those people, he's kind of like Donald Trump, where he's difficult to, to sympathize with because of his behavior. But in this case, I do think it's interesting that he's going back to that incident at the Jets last year where he walked off the field there were differing stories, and you had to believe some of what he had to say, but he's out here pointing out things about Tom Brady and saying, hey, look at how he can manipulate the situation, and he gets seven days off. Look what happened to me, and I was hurt. I think it's interesting to watch, and I'm wondering if at some point Antonio Brown's story is going to be corroborated. We shall see, but I think it's interesting that Brady's going to take some time off in the preseason, and I guess he's earned it. What are the Bucs going to look like this year? We're not actually going to know until week one, unfortunately. Last thing about the preseason, false hope and weird narratives. ESPN, I guess they have to make content now because football's on and they're contractually obligated to do it and blah, 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 blah. But they've been throwing this stat out that the Baltimore Ravens have now won 22 straight preseason games. How many Super Bowls have they won in that time period? The answer is zero. So it doesn't really matter. The 0-16 Detroit Lions, who ended up going 0-16 in the regular season, were 4-0 in the preseason. It doesn't matter. What you do in the preseason doesn't matter. And so touting these stats out, and people are overreacting like crazy right now. One guy makes one great throw at camp or one bad throw at camp. Trayvon Diggs is getting burned in camp. And this is camp. That's when you work out that stuff and you get your continuity down. And honestly, I think the overreaction is ridiculous on all fronts. And it makes the preseason that much less desirable for me to watch. And that's why I rag on it and have these hot takes because it's so dumb. Like just let the season play out. Things are gonna happen in the preseason. Injuries are one thing. You get a definitive sense of injury there. You get a definitive sense of what it means. Like if you lose your quarterback in the preseason, you know what your season outcome is going to look like. Your season is pretty much in the tubes and you know it. But I think in other ways, you just have to let things play out and we will see how they how they work. These guys got to make the team. And when you see a guy go out there, it was like Jordan Love the other night throws three picks in his first preseason game. And he's throwing those against second stringers because a lot of people, a lot of teams don't play their starters in the first game. I think that that tells you a lot about Jordan Love, not the future of the franchise. So those are the types of things I think you are looking for. What excites you about the preseason? What do you like about it outside of just football being back? I'm looking forward to the regular season. I'm looking forward to college football. We are weeks away from this, and we are weeks away from Scott Hansen telling me seven hours of commercial-free football, and that is some of the best words strung together in the history of sports. Don't forget, next week, first episode, Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. Brad will be on. We'll be talking about the same fire topics. It's going to be the same show, different feel. I know you're going to enjoy it, and I can't wait. I hope that this finds you well. Please support the network, MattySmedia.com. Please follow the show at Drippin' Sports on Twitter. Please follow me at MattySFreights on Twitter. And if you're listening in the podcasting space, subscribe, rate, review. Throw those five stars. Give me a written review. It means the world. Next week, it's all about the future. Take care, everybody. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice 
are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.